Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. Over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dress the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. So dress listeners, that joyful opening music is entitled Honeydew, and that was the very first song today's guest ever wrote. And we are so pleased to welcome band leader, vintage aficionado, and style activist Dandy Wellington to the show. I am so excited to welcome Dandy to the show today. I have to say that I've been following Dandy's work and admiring his, you know, stellar singular style for a while, but I had the pleasure of meeting him virtually at the very start of this pandemic, so a year ago, and I'm so pleased to say that we've become friends now. So um, yeah, extra, extra welcome today, Dandy. And I know that after today's episode, Dress Listeners, you will join me in saying that his philosophy about an approach to vintage dressing is truly an inspiration. So, Dandy, welcome to the show. Dandy, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to Dressed. Ah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And for yourself, vintage is not a hobby or a passion project. It is a lifestyle. And I'm hoping you can start by telling us about the origins of your relationship with vintage clothing. Where did it all start? Right. Well, uh, it all started at home. I mean, I grew up in a home full of art and and culture, lots and lots of Black culture, lots of music. And going with all of that was the fashion. I was just surrounded by it, you know, growing up listening to uh, Duke Ellington and seeing those album covers of how well he dressed and then being immersed in movie musicals as a kid and public television and and, you know, books on the Harlem Renaissance. And even earlier, it was just everywhere. And also, it's in my family because my grandmother was uh, a tailor, a seamstress and in Jamaica. And so she was very well known for being able to look at a red book or any fashion magazine and recreate the fashion that was in that magazine. And so she had a, a team of people working under her out of the house. and these sort of well-to-do Jamaicans and Brits would come down and come to her for for fashion. So that was sort of passed on to me, an appreciation of style and fashion through, you know, from my grandmother through my mom. Uh, So it, it, it does sort of come naturally. And I'd love if you tell us about your personal style, like how you would describe it, how you cultivated it over the years, you know, how you came to develop this style, and perhaps starting with describing what you are wearing right now, because you look fabulous, I must say. Well, thank you. (laughs) Please tell us what you're wearing. (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, 
I'm wearing sort of a, uh, a a sports sack jacket from the mid 1940s. It's it's got four patch pockets, so two breast pockets and two side pockets. Does it have a belt back? It doesn't have a belt back, but uh, it's a nice sporty jacket. It's a gray and cream houndstooth with a blue overcheck, and I'm wearing that with um, a nice cable knit sweater vest under which is a bangle-striped pink Paul Stewart shirt, Le Nou Papillon tie, and a hat from Thomas Farthing, London. Which is tilted on your head. It's got a wide hat band. I mean, so you look incredible. So stylish. You also have, of course... A uh, brooch or something in your buttonhole. Well, a little say. boot, little boutonniere, little silk boutonniere from Le Nou Papillon as well. I try to mix. Uh, I, I mix vintage and and sort of modern fashion all the time. Um, but a lot of slow fashion. A lot of brands that really curate and create a particular classic menswear look, but aren't necessarily big box brands that are pumping out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of units of things um, and trying to, you know, follow the trends. That's not what I'm about. I'm about curating particular items within my wardrobe that work together, but build an overall sort of vintage, classic menswear aesthetic. So, you know, this jacket and this uh, sweater vest, those are vintage. Everything else is modern, but it works together in a way where it really feels seamless. You know, it's all about searching out these little bits and pieces and bringing them together to create an overall look and a working wardrobe. And I would say this is a very sophisticated practice. This is something you've been cultivating over many, many years. Can you kind of tell us about your early entry into starting to experiment with wearing vintage fashion and really cultivating this classic, as you just say, classic menswear style. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. I really started dressing in this way deliberately in about 2008, around then. But, you know, classic dress and, uh, you know, trousers and blazers and and ties, all of that stuff has been a part of my life for years, since, since I was a little kid. I went to a fair amount of schools with, with dress codes. You know, in the Black community, you go to church, and so you always dress up. And so that's always been the lens through which I understand my own presentation when it comes to stepping out into the world. You have to be well-dressed. You have to represent your family, your culture, putting your best foot forward in the Black community is such an important thing because, you know, if you present the, the wrong face, you're representing everybody. So that was always a big part of who I was growing up. But after, after spending a lot of time wearing ties and blazers and, and trousers in school, when I got to college, I sort of let that go because, you know, I went to, I went to NYU Tisch School of the Arts for theater. And so in that situation, you know, you're dealing with a conservatory structure where now you're just doing dance classes, vocal classes, acting classes, 
all day. You're rolling around on the floor. <laughs> You're imagining yourself as an ice cream cone. Which, yes, uh, yes, I've done that as well <laughs> from theater. <laughs> of course. And so in that situation, uh, you tend not to dress up so much. You always find ways to do so, but you tend not to dress up so much for what you're doing. And so after college, and as I started to work in nightlife towards the end of college, I started to bring back elements of classic dress into my wardrobe. And it was very much uh, in the vein of street style. It was like paying attention to what was happening with different brands, but at the same time, appreciating things that had always been really interesting to me, brands like uh, like Ralph Lauren and Brooks Brothers and but um, but then also pulling from sort of, sort of more avant-garde brands and, and really messing around. But then it just it just hit me one day and I started to really refine and clean everything up. And then, you know, it's sort of the rest is history. It's like once you start to really focus on vintage and become a part of the vintage scene, which I did at, at that point around 2010, thanks to my good friend Jin Minsky, I just fell in love again with classic, classic style, with um, the nuance of fabrics and prints and, and structure and creating layers with outfits. You know, once you, once you start on that path, it's hard to turn around because it's just such a multifaceted, juicy, magical, fun situation where it's just like, come on, how can you not get excited about <laughs> the different layers and how things are, are pushed to the forefront, different patterns pop in different, you know, different parts of an outfit because of how you put an outfit together. Yeah. And I would say it brings so much joy too to your everyday. I can only imagine. I do not have a vintage inspired wardrobe, <laughs> but I do understand the joy of dressing up and putting on vintage and experimenting with, you know, putting, you know, for instance, my grandmother's vintage jewelry on. It always right. it always brings something new to whatever I'm wearing. And I have to say for you too, vintage um, and what you wear and how you clothe your body goes hand in hand with your work as a musician, as a band leader. Can you tell us about the role that style plays in, in that aspect of your life as well? I mean, it's such, it's such an important role. And and it's interesting because I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a vintage purist. If I'm a vintage purist, I'm wearing vintage all the time. I'm focusing specifically on particular eras when I am wearing things and it's got to only be vintage or da 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 Like, I'm not really that way. I have a few different periods that I gravitate to, but I often interrupt those with more modern styles or more modern colors and patterns, you know, trying to be just enjoying the vibrancy of the color palette that we have in this modern age. And so as a band leader or as an artist, sort of working within vintage style, vintage, a vintage lifestyle, vintage music, it really works hand in hand because we're not in the past, you know? So why dress exclusively like we're in the past? Why not find ways to incorporate what's happening in the present, incorporate what small, you know, independent brands are doing 
and find ways to go, okay, how, how, does, how does their understanding of history, their research work with my research, work with my curation? And how can we, how can I put these things together? Especially because, you know, not only is it fun to figure out how to work things in together, but, you know, it's also sustainable at the end of the day. When I'm not going to H&M and going, oh, yeah, their, their latest stingy point collar. Let me figure out how to, you know, no, like, <laughs> that's not, that's not really my vibe. You know, I'd rather go to a brand that really, really focuses on what they do. And when you're on stage, that makes a difference because people are transported someplace that isn't necessarily the past isn't necessarily specifically 1923 because at the end of the day my my presentation our experience our collective experience would be very different if we were in 1923 the history of it matters that nuance matters you know the venue that we'd be performing in would be segregated like this is th- that all that stuff is tied up in how i look at style fashion presentation and performance but people see you before they hear you. And so I have been uh, fortunate to perform at a lot of very elegant places with a lot of very talented musicians who, who appreciate great style. And, they, and again, they may not be pulling from the 1935 handbook on style, you know, they might not be pulling from that, but what they're doing is they're bringing a, a bit of themselves, and at the end of the day, it's elegance, it's professionalism, it's presentation, and when all those things come together, that synergy is beautiful. And it doesn't matter how specific, you know, the collar is that. Oh, I'm wearing the the proper this or that. No, it's about how you put it together. It's about style, not reproduction. And you did mention the 1920s, which is significant because you are a jazz musician. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is one of the golden eras of jazz music. And I think um, without specifically transporting people to the 1920s, you are, in fact, bringing much of that spirit and joie de vivre of that era into the present day. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, it, it, it it is very much my my nerddom, <laughs> you know, uh, they, they really go hand in hand. I get super nerdy about clothes, but jazz, the people who created it, the things they went through, the musical universe of folks who worked together and created together, often in the face of, of a society that wasn't ready for them to be in, a, in the same room together, to be communicating musically is fantastic. I was just listening to some music from Chicago, just you know, Eddie Condon and his and uh, and his Hot Shots, and just this the bounce, the bounce of Chicago jazz in the nineteen twenties and thirties is magical, but slightly different than what was happening in New York and what was happening in New Orleans and what was happening in LA and Kansas City. And it's all, it all makes you move, but it also all makes you question and, 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 and confront and interact with and, and enjoy uh, history. It's all, it's, it's just there. 
It's America's music. And especially being a born and raised New Yorker, to be in this city and to be listening to some toe-tapping, just thumping jazz. Like, really, you understand what the, the hustle and the bustle of the city is. Just as when you find yourself you know, on, on, a, on a highway going through New York and you're playing Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin, you appreciate the city that way, you know? Just as when you're standing in front of uh, the Rockefeller Center fountain and you hear Claire de Lune, you can appreciate the city that way. It's, jazz is in that, that musical hustle and bustle. It's there. So it... I love, I just love jazz, man. <laughs> and I feel like this is a perfect time to listen to some of your very own music and let it take us into a sponsor break. In the morning when the sun will rise, there's one thing keeps me satisfied. Don't have to tell the reason why. It's pie and coffee and you. There's a magic morsel on my plate I pine for after every day. Welcome back, dress listeners. So Dandy, you said earlier you are not a vintage purist, but I am curious, do you have a favorite period or periods or styles in menswear from history? Ooh, that is, <laughs> that's really tough. Um, my go-to styles when it comes to putting together an outfit are the Gilded Age and the 1930s. I feel like the 1930s is the most functional in, in many ways. And I, I don't know, there's just so much, there's so much good in both those eras. When it comes to the 1930s, I love the lapels on jackets. I love the shoulders and and how built up they are, how the hats just sort of sit on top of someone's head. And especially because of what's going on in America at that time, you know, in the midst of the Great Depression, so much of what was happening in fashion was about building up the wearer, you know, we have the iconography of the superhero that started here in this country. Uh, sure, very much derivative of Greek gods, but you know you have the superhero that's here. And so all of a sudden, fashion is treating the everyman like a superhero by building up those shoulders, by broadening those lapels. And the collars are high, so you stand up straight. All these things... And when a, when a people are so downtrodden and when there's been a recession, mm -hmm, I don't know, is that something that's happening right now? Yes. When there's, <laughs> when there's, when there's a, a, you know, a, a situation where people feel down on their luck, they feel like the, the system, the world has turned its back on them. There's nothing better than feeling powerful when you wear your clothes. And that's how I feel and that's how they felt. It's a really incredible thing, style. Even, even when I think about many of the charities that help people out by providing them clothes to go on job interviews, 
part of that is society's impression of what a business person should look like, an employee should look like. But a lot of that is pride. It's the feeling that you've put on something for the occasion that allows you to step into a room. And even though you know that you are, and you should know that you're equal to the people in the room because you're all human, those clothes help them remember, (laughs) you know, those clothes will help along the process. And I I think that's such an important thing about style and personal style. It doesn't have to be my style. It doesn't have to be what Janelle Monet is doing or Andre Leontali is doing. You know, it's about what you're doing, what you need to do in order to feel powerful as you go through this, this world. Uh, and that goes for all people because there's a lot of things in our, in our world, uh, in our system that can get you down. There's a lot of things that can hang you up. So along with a song in your heart, you know, sometimes the clothes on your back can be that additional armor to help you process the world. Wow, that's that's really beautiful sentiment and advice. And I have to say that for yourself, fashion is more than an aesthetic expression of your identity. You're also a self-described style activist. Please tell us about, quote unquote, vintage style, not vintage values. Mm-hmm. A credo, a motto, a daily affirmation that I did not create, but I have very much incorporated into my life. The origins of this phrase come from a number of different places. Um, Based on my research, there was a Facebook group that was using this in anticipation of the Women's March in 2016. Also, this phrase sort of bloomed out of a response to what certain vintage and reproduction brands were doing when it came to cultural appropriation and a lack of inclusivity when it came to size, when it came to uh, ability, when it came to just (laughs) overall representation. And at at its core for me, It basically says that though my clothes and my style may be old-timey, my perspective on social issues are not. It's to say that I am against racism, uh, against bigotry, that I respect the, the body's choice of LGBTQ plus women. It's that I honor the original custodians of the land on which I'm standing, that though we appreciate what's happening in the past, we are firmly in the now. And my now is about inclusion, is about understanding our history for what it is and building on it in a more respectful, inclusive an honest way so that we can all move forward. With regards to vintage and the vintage community, this is a community of empowerment. Think about it this way. As I mentioned before, 
in the 1920s, my position in society would have been distinctly different. And to a lot of people of color, that fact is a reason never to celebrate the past, to celebrate that period. But the truth is, there is so much good in the 20s, in the 30s. There is so much art and culture and thought and opportunities created and strides made in the quest towards civil rights and a better life for people, that it's important to honor all of those accomplishments because they were accomplishments. But the, the wonderful thing is that in 2021, in this time, we also have the ability to celebrate it and also look at the history honestly. And I think that what ends up happening with vintage is people say things like, oh, it was so much of a better time. Right, or I wish I could go back there. And, you're, and I'm always, as a woman too, I'm always thinking, no, you do not. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think it's, and it's interesting because sometimes, sometimes those things are said without thinking, but sometimes they're meant. And so for me, it's, it's about making the distinction that we can celebrate the past but we don't need to bring all of the values of the past with us while we do that. Right. I think that's a really good distinction. All of the values. Some of the values, yes. Some of the values, obviously, no. Right. And, and the interesting thing is people get really caught up on that word, values, because it's been thrown around a lot. It's been thrown around by politicians, by churches, by families. And so the word in and of itself has so many different meanings that the phrase alone for a lot of people is unclear. But if we deal in nuance like we do in our normal <laughs> lives and you observe the people who are speaking, you observe the things that they say outside of that phrase, you observe who they surround themselves with, the message is clear. Like, being neighborly is not a vintage value. That's a value. That's right. a human value, right? That's, that's, that's just being a good member of society. Chivalry, in some senses, just the attempt to be chivalrous to your fellow human, kind, polite, considerate, supportive. Yes, chivalry in and of itself is very much associated with man to woman. But listen, where are we? <laughs> what decade are we in? Can we apply chivalry to everyone? Yes, and we should. That is a value, a human value. And so it's, it's not to say that we wear vintage and we are without values at all. That's ridiculous. Nuance. <laughs> I believe that people should support other people, no matter what race, what ability. It should be support. 
It should be inclusion. Representation matters. And I'm glad you said representation matters because that leads me to something that we have to talk about, which is your Black Apparel Arts Challenge, which Mm. really took on a life of its own after you started it last year at, I believe, the very beginning stages of the pandemic. And I'd love if you could share with our listeners what the Black Apparel Arts Challenge is. Yeah. So as someone who loves vintage and loves classic dress, loves menswear, um, so much of that inspiration, yes, it comes from celebrity photos and, and, and things like that, but a lot of it also comes from apparel arts illustrations. Which was a publication, right? Yeah, apparel arts was a publication that actually was the genesis of GQ. And it was, a, it was essentially an industry magazine where outfits and ideas could be created so that those who dressed the shops and the windows could find some inspiration for how they might adorn their shops so that people could buy. But in those illustrations is inspiration for the wearer as well. And, and you know, all these years later, that is among the many treasure troves of places where, where people who love classic dress and menswear and women's wear can find things, you know, people like J.C. Leindecker and Lawrence Fellows, incredible artists who were able to depict not just style, but occasion, speaking to where people might wear these items. When we're talking about sportswear, of course, it's often associated with outdoor activities or actual sporting, you know, and, and then looking at black tie and white tie and all the different varieties of waistcoats and collar shapes and all these things, all of that is depicted in apparel art illustrations. But looking at it as a person of color, as a black man, it is clear that black people are not at the forefront of these images. We're in, we're in the picture, but often as porters, as maids, as butlers, as servants. Granted, these images, these illustrations are a product of their time. And that's fine. But as people start to go on their own vintage journey and start to look at these images, what would it be like if these images were as elegant but diverse? as incredibly crafted, but inclusive. And so, you know, I just had this thought on a Sunday afternoon that, wow, we're here, which is, you know, from someone who appreciates history, who spends a lot of time with it, Black people have always been here. And it doesn't matter whether I'm talking about America or places in Europe, we've always been here. One need only look a little bit harder and you will see us in art. You will see us in novels, in in advertisements. You'll see us, but not at the forefront often. And so I just reached out to the ether, to the internet, and I said, (laughs) hey, look at these incredible, incredible pieces of art. And what if you just add some diversity to it? Apparel arts, but make it black. 
and the outpouring of inspired and original art was earth shattering to me. It's so incredible. That this, this reality, because when people create art, they create a reality, a reality that you can step into, that you can immerse yourself in, that you can love in and feel power in, that this reality was at the tip of people's fingers and they hadn't gone that extra step to create it. The amount of artists that had said to me that they had never been challenged to or asked to or even thought about creating subjects that were people of color was interesting. And it's, you know, a lot of us, you know, me included, come through a particular conservatory system when no matter no matter what our art is. And you you create what you know. That's why things like redlining are important. And representation in the media too. What what Hollywood's producing, what fashion magazines are producing, what they're showing you, what fashion dolls, what Barbie dolls doing, it all matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not to say that what has been created isn't good. But for 2021, it's not quite good enough because we can keep going. We can keep pushing the envelope and adding more characters, you know, to this incredible cast of humanity that as a New Yorker, I am confronted with every day. These people, this really magical melting pot that is honestly a part of this country and many others around the world. And, you know, it, it just, it just bloomed. It really just bloomed over, over a thousand pieces of art and counting and climbing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And dress listeners, you of course will follow Dandy Wellington on his Instagram handle, and then you can see some of the pieces there, but also just doing the hashtag Black Apparel Arts, and you'll see all of this incredible artwork. I mean, there's everything from Black Apparel Arts to, you know, like early 20th century fashion plates you'd recognize, many of our listeners would recognize, but they've, you know, changed the characters featured in those fashion plates, uh, artwork of Alfonso Mucha. I mean, there's people got so incredibly creative. It's such a beautiful experience expression of this melting pot of humanity, like you said. And yeah, just really speaks to the importance of diversity and what this movement moving forward can really mean um, in so many different, different ways. So thank you so much for that. Well, I have to, I have to just thank, I have to just thank the artists as a person who pulls a lot of inspiration from these works, these past works to find new works to pull inspiration from. Um, is just wonderful. And we will, of course, post pictures as well if the artists approve to feature on our Instagram so our listeners can see. But like I said, just check out that hashtag. Well, Dandy, we are nearing the end of our time together today. And I can't let you go without talking about the future of Dandy Wellington um, musical, you know, what we're going to see from you in this in this upcoming year, because you are a musician, one of millions of people around the world, probably billions, whose very livelihood, you know, based on the fact that you work in live performance, has been incredibly impacted by the pandemic. 
And with things beginning to look up cautiously optimistic for this year, I have to ask if you have any plans for the future. I, for one, and I've said it before in the podcast, am anticipating a 1920s joie de vivre revival coming out of this pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) And that definitely includes live musical performance. I am sure our listeners will join me in in agreeing that we are ready um, to see live performances again. Yeah, uh, we are ready. I am ready. Absolutely ready. Um, And it's interesting because I I changed my life uh, the moment the pandemic hit. And and what I'm what happens next isn't necessarily going to be going back to what was. And I think that in and of itself is beautiful because evolution is inevitable. It's just a matter of whether you're on the front end of it or not. And so I'm I'm making an effort to really go out and perform as much as possible, travel as much as possible because um, this music that I have been doing since about 2010 is really dear to me. And at the core, it's joy. At the core, it's encouraging people to view and participate in America's first classical music, jazz. A music that has inhabited concert halls and brothels. A music that will make you dance and make you feel. A music that is often best served with a cocktail and the tip of the hat. And so um, I'm excited. I'm excited. There are, there are definitely, definitely some events coming up, one of which is going to be the Galveston Island Beach Review happening on Galveston Island in Texas. Um, that's coming up the third weekend in May. Also, uh, I will be doing the Great Gatsby Party in New York. That's going to be happening in September. Um, and between that, a lot of events, a lot of creating new music, a lot of video content, merchandise, and 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 just creating fashion and style and, and, and collaboration. And that's it. You know, it's, this has been, this has been a year that, that really has just been so challenging. And as a, as a millennial, it's been the continuation of a saga. (laughs) (laughs) And so for all, all of those who are, who are listening out there, I know that we're ready to get out we're ready to 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 listen to music to dance to enjoy a great drink enjoy great company and that's what i'm looking to provide i'm always looking to provide with my band an experience an experience that is inviting that is positive and that at the end of the day swings well dandy we are very much looking forward to this as well um, and looking forward to following your work well into the future. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today and for sharing your wonderful approach to dressing, but also your music that's being populated throughout this episode. I'm sure our listeners are going to um, get out there and follow your work if they are not already. So thank you again. Thanks for having me.
Gather round, I'll tell you something. Life is great with music bumping. Get on down and listen for all of rhythm. Dandy, thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, to find out more about Dandy's work and upcoming performances, check out his website, dandywellington.com, where you can buy and download his wonderful music, which was featured here today. And his website is also where you will find his private and group classes on everything from maximizing your wardrobe to mixing colors and patterns, which if you have ever seen a photograph of Dandy, you will realize he incorporates both of these credos into his daily wardrobe to perfection. And you can, of course, follow Dandy's daily sartorial expressions and activism on his Instagram at Dandy Wellington. I think that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you incorporate the joy of listening to music into your routine next time you get dressed. We love hearing from you, so if you would like to email us, please do so at dressed at iheartmedia.com. You can also DM us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast, which is, of course, where you will also find images accompanying each week's episode. And you can follow us on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore. And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes this show possible each and every week. We will catch you on Tuesday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.